Happy Valentine's Day. February 14th. How are we already a month and a half into 2021? I keep thinking time must be slowing down through COVID, through this pandemic, especially when we've had such cold temperatures like we have in the last week, where most of us are spending, you know, probably 23 plus hours indoors and often in the confines of our own homes. Uh, but maybe it's just because Brent and I have littles and <laughs> every day sort of whizzes by on us, but it's shocking to me how fast time is, is going by. And uh, we've had a little bit of time in the last few weeks, especially to take a look back at some pictures from all the way back actually to when I was pregnant with Ayla. Brent was showing me some pictures just before I came uh, to do this little message. And um, and then pictures of when Ayla was really little and, and that already seems like half a lifetime ago. <laughs> and yet it was only just a few years ago. Anyways, I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. I wanted to share particularly on Valentine's Day when Dave and Deb asked what date I would like to share next. I said, slot me in for Valentine's Day. And uh, this will be the last of a series that Dave and Deb have been working on um, that's really exploring how faith is best expressed uh, as we love each other. And I really have connected with this theme uh, as I feel like it's actually the basis of my personal faith in Jesus. I, I remember actually sitting in a hot tub with Brent. Maybe it was around Valentine's Day. We were somewhere celebrating together. This was pre-kids when we actually got to do those kinds of things and pre-COVID. And, and we were sitting in a hot tub outdoors, um, just looking out at the landscape around us and talking about what we felt like was the bare bones of our faith. Like if we could distill it into a sentence, what would it be? And ultimately for us, um, it was the simplicity of what Jesus shared in that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself, and that this for us is the fullness of the gospel. And so it's been fun to, um, to just over the last few weeks to really um, pull out and tease out some of the... Um, some of the passages in scripture and some of the ideas around how we best express our faith by showing love and sharing love. And I had the privilege, really, because I just so love to do it, um, of putting together some materials for our young families um, and some devotional materials that hopefully some of our families anyways will get a chance to try on in their home environments with their kids and um, put together little bags for each of our young families and um, take them out um, in time for Valentine's Day. So I got a chance this week to see many of our families and was just reminded again of how dearly I love our people and, um, and how that I'm so thankful that we have that foundation and root of um, that simple gospel of Christ expressing his love to us, us expressing our love back, and then through the infilling of the Spirit, our ability to then express that love to people around us. I'm hoping that I'll have time to um, just check in. I have another little screen over here that lets me see your comments. And so I really would appreciate along the way, I'll ask some questions, but at any point in time, please just shout out your comments um, on our live stream and I'll try to engage with some of them as I can. It's lovely to see those of you who have joined already today. And thanks as well to those of you listening in afterwards. Um, I'm wondering how you're celebrating Valentine's Day. It's, it's, a, um, it's 
one holiday of the year that is probably in some respects more complicated than others in that many people feel perhaps like that they uh, don't have as much of a reason to celebrate Valentine's Day as many other holidays in our year. Um, I want to touch on that just a little bit, in just a little bit. This morning, my family and I made little heart-shaped bread rolls, sweet bread rolls. And um, if you know me, you know I'm not a person who likes to get my hands dirty, so I don't make bread very often. I grew up in a home where my mother makes amazing bread to this day, and she loves to get her hands dirty. And so uh, I always reaped the (laughs) benefits of her labors. Um, But Ayla and Asher and Brent and I don't make bread very often, so it was a fun project to do this morning. Anyways, I wanted to briefly share with you before climbing into the text that I want to dig into today, uh, our Brent and I, our own love story. Um, Some of you may know this and some of you may not, Um, especially just around uh, the engagement piece for us. It's a fun story, so I thought I'd start by sharing it. Brent and I met right here in the Camelot Vineyard Church. It's a good place to meet a person, I have to say. And Brent wooed me well, and eventually he proposed to me. To do so, he went up to a place that had some special meaning to me, and he set up some wooden letters in the crevice of a balancing rock um, that he wanted us to find the next day. And this was just above the hills um, overlooking Kamloops Lake up past Tronquille. After we had gone to church the next day, which was a Sunday, of course, um, we had lunch together and he just randomly suggested, let's go for a a walk today, let's go for a hike. Um, And we were up in Aberdeen at the time. He said, where would you like to go? And I thought about it for a while and I said, you know, actually I'd really love to go to that one special place um, out past Tronquil area up in the hills. And Brent and I hadn't been there for many months, if not more than a year. And so he said, hmm, okay, that sounds, sounds good. Let's go there. So we headed up into the hills. And as we were walking, I had such an urge to visit that particular place that, where that balancing rock was, but I could not seem to find it. So I thought I was leading Brent this whole time, um, trying to get to this special place. And I just said, I, I don't know where it is anymore. We haven't been up here for so long. I've lost uh, my way. And he said, you know what? It really doesn't matter. Um, we're just on a hike today. It's a beautiful day. And... We can just enjoy our, our journey. Uh, it's very typical <laughs> Brent fashion, Brent thing to say. I was, you know, doggedly determined, no, we're going to find this place if it's the last thing we do today. So sure enough, we finally find the place. And he had set up some silk flowers and other things. And I thought when I first saw them, oh my, I wonder if someone is has set this up so that, uh, you know, so that maybe they can celebrate a birthday or something like that. How sweet. And then I began to read the letters that Brent had put these little wooden letters up. Um, And I thought, my goodness, as I first started the first, you know, just reading the first few letters, I thought, someone has the same name as me, too. Um, I'm really quick. (laughs) I know. Anyways, as I kept reading, it said, Bonnie Lee, will you marry me? And it dawned on me finally that this was Brent's proposal. Uh, And and it was just such a sweet, beautiful Holy Spirit uh, moment because of the way that it had unfolded, where in essence, without knowing it, I had played beautifully into Brent's hands. Um, And so luckily for him, I agreed to marry him. And luckily for me, I have partnered with the best man that I know, full stop, period. Our love story is honestly a love story that's fit for a king or a queen, uh, for an epic movie, honestly. And it's our real life happily ever after 
that we're walking out day by day. And I thank God daily for the love that I share with Brent and with my family. Um, and I count myself supremely blessed. Um, and not so much that I feel unworthy uh, of this kind of love and this kind of story, but just that I feel deeply humbled that, um, that a normal, ordinary person like me meets a normal, ordinary person like Brent, and that we get to share an extraordinary love with one another. I want to just give you a quick little history lesson. Maybe you know how Valentine's Day began. Um, it's actually a little bit murky, um, to be honest. Historians don't always agree on exact details. Um, but from what I was reading, it seems to me that somewhere around the end of the 5th century, the Catholic Pope declared that February 14th would be named St. Valentine's Day to honor um, the martyrdom of more than one saint named Valentinus. Um, multiple Valentinus, Valentinuses were martyred uh, for their faith. And so originally it wasn't connected with love, actually. Um, it was just a way to honor these particularly extraordinary human beings. And it wasn't until hundreds of years later that uh, this day and this, this special date in the calendar um, became definitively associated with love. And by the middle of the 18th century, it had become common for friends to share little tokens, little gifts, little cards. Um, and so it became a little more, um, it looked a little more like what we would think of when we think of Valentine's Day today. Um, I wonder uh, what your story is. And if any of you want to just shout out, uh, in, in brevity, of course, um, your own little love story or perhaps even your story around how you met the person that you're sharing your life with, if you are at this point, um, that would be sweet to know. Um, Brent and I have always kept Valentine's Day fairly simple, to be honest. We often just share a really lovely meal together. And there's always chocolates, because I love chocolate. Um, but I know that this day is sometimes fraught with emotion for people, especially maybe for those who are single, for those who have lost a partner, uh, or those who are in less than optimal relationships right now. And I think for some people, this day is just honestly a marketing scam uh, when flowers in grocery stores are twice as much as they normally would cost and when otherwise forward-thinking, eco-friendly Canadians literally buy into this manufactured, consumerist-driven holiday and spend upwards of, statistically, $90 or so per person to do so. Whatever your personal opinion on this holiday is, or where you happen to be, or how you happen to be feeling on this particular Valentine's Day, I want to use this as an opportunity to share a message of love with you today, and perhaps with a slightly different framework than traditionally used on this holiday, a message that is at its heart a cry for you to give your little bit to Jesus and let him transform your little bit into what I'm going to call leftovers. And I mean that in the sense of the yummiest leftovers that just get better as they, <laughs> as they age. It's a message I want to share with you today that's about a miracle. When our not enough becomes more than enough in God's kingdom and in our own lives. It's a story about how love is, in essence, first about sharing with Jesus, and then about sharing with one another. How are you guys doing out there? <laughs> I want to dive in today by reading the story of Jesus multiplying five loaves of barley bread and two small fish. This is a story that 
almost everyone knows. Um, I'm going to focus on the account of the story that's found in John 6, but it's also found in all four of the Gospels. And it's actually the only story outside of the resurrection story that is. So I don't want to read too much into that fact, but I also would like to suggest that perhaps there's more going on in this story than initially meets the eye. Perhaps this is a story not as much about feeding hungry people food um, as it is about our hearts and our bread of life, Jesus, who solely sustains us by his words and his deeds. So I think there's more to this story uh, that certainly I can understand and grasp right now. And I feel strongly that the Spirit of God wants to illuminate some things for us today. I'm going to read this passage to you from the Passion Translation from John 6. I'm going to read it nice and slowly, so hopefully we have time to just linger upon um, the words. And I want you to ask God to just almost... Um, <laughs> as if he were using a highlighter, as if God were using a highlighter to just highlight certain words or feelings or pass like phrases that, that feel important to you. As Jesus sat down, he looked out and saw a massive crowd of people scrambling up the hill, for they wanted to be near him. So he turned to Philip and said, where will we buy enough food to feed all these people. Now Jesus already knew what he was about to do, but he said this to stretch Philip's faith. Philip answered, well, I suppose if we were to give everyone only a snack, it would cost thousands of dollars to buy enough food. But just then, Andrew, Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Look, here's a young person with five barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would that go with this huge crowd? Have everyone sit down, Jesus said to his disciples. So on the vast grassy slope, more than 5,000 hungry people sat down. Jesus then took the barley loaves and the fish and gave thanks to God. He then gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people. Miraculously, the food multiplied with everyone eating as much as they wanted. When everyone was satisfied, Jesus told his disciples, now go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing will be wasted. The disciples filled up 12 baskets of fragments, a basket of leftovers for each disciple. I want to pause and ask us to take a few moments to just be quiet and to listen. Is there a word or a phrase or aspect of this story that is sticking for you? Almost like a loop that's going just round and round in your head. Often God helps our minds to linger on something to slow us down enough to pay attention to what God wants to illuminate for us or to touch a part of us that we may not even be consciously aware of, such as a link to a memory from the past, or a feeling, or an impression connected to something else entirely. What about this story gives you pause today? What might Jesus be putting his finger on, so to speak? At the risk of sounding mystical, I think there is something in this story here today for each of us to take away, to chew on, and to digest for the healing of our souls and the transformation of our minds. I want to share a few of my little loops 
<laughs> as I was meditating on this passage. But I'm also just going to check in over here and see if you guys have anything you want to shout out. <laughs> Some of you are expressing your Valentine's love to one another. It's awesome. <laughs> it's a good chance to do so. Here's some things that I paused and I've lingered and I've thought about. So often, Jesus saw people. He truly saw them. And then he was moved with compassion. This internal movement inside of him precipitated most, if not all, of what he did while he was here on the earth. Jesus saw the people the masses of people who were coming to him, who just wanted to be near him. Beyond curiosity, I think, these people yearned for something, even if they could not put into words what they were hoping for that day. Jesus knew this. Jesus' interaction with Philip is only told in this account in John. And many have speculated on the intricacies of why this happened and what it means for Philip and the other disciples. I don't really know about any of that. What I do know is that time and again, Jesus asks really good questions. Jesus often asks a question before he does something that he really wants people to grapple with or when he wants to illuminate something to his disciples. And I wonder if Jesus is asking us a question today. I think Jesus's questions often have multiple layers of meaning, as if he's mining our souls and digging at layers below the surface. Always, always, I think Jesus is asking questions to stretch our faith, just like he did Philip. <laughs> oh, that Jesus. <laughs> a troublemaker in the best way. <laughs> uh, Philip, bless his heart, tried his best to wrap his mind around Jesus' question and to answer remotely intelligently. You can see his heart in his attempt to find a way to honor this question and also the implicit request to solve this dilemma somehow. He, from what I read, was from near this place where they were, which was a little ways outside of Jerusalem and was in this rather desert-like area that wasn't close to anything at all. There wasn't a 7-Eleven or drugstore or anything close by. Um, he knew that these people had traveled far and that they were in a place where no food could be found for miles. And he understood the gravity of the situation for the men and the women and children there that day if they hadn't come prepared. More than that, I, I think Philip had some inkling of the desperation, of the desire and the decision people had made to make this journey this day just to be close to Jesus. Are any of you sharing your loops? I'm just going to take a wee little look. honest, I've always focused on the young boy in this story. As you can maybe imagine, because young children are my passion, one of my many passions. <laughs> but I've always celebrated this story because of the way that it, it really shows the importance of what children bring to our communal table. Um, but this time, as I was reading this story again, I realized that the focus seemed to be not just on the young boy who brought his food, 
and was willing to share. But on the diminutive nature of almost all the aspects of this story up until this point, there's 12 disciples and thousands of people. Thousands and thousands. There's one small boy. There's five barley loaves, which were just little flat cakes that were hardly enough for one person for a day. There are two small fish, maybe think anchovies, like tiny. Every element of this story points to the tremendous gap between the demand and the supply, between the need and the ability to meet the need. doesn't sound like anything that we're familiar with, does it? <laughs> oh, goodness. I don't know about you, but especially in the pandemic, um, there's been a great highlight in my life of this gap at times. Um, yeah, these significant gaps that sometimes seem insurmountable. David asks, who made and packed the boys' lunch? That's a good question. <laughs> uh, maybe his mama. Maybe his mama. Little did she know. <laughs> I think there is something profound in the act of Jesus giving thanks here. It's like he's making a choice to acknowledge both the paltry offering and yet the profound mystery of abundance all at once. In Christ's hands, what could never have been enough for even a family, much less a motley community of thousands of people, is transformed into not just enough for each and every person, but for more than enough, for leftovers galore. In the hands of Jesus, a little bit becomes leftovers. Everyone eats and is full, and there is still more. In fact, 12 baskets of fragments, the same number as there are disciples. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> Numerologists, I think, have heydays, you know, have their heyday with scripture and the many um, numbers and their meanings and there's probably way more to this story than I understand but just this one little detail I think is not chance again Jesus is making some kind of a point as I was thinking about all this I felt God just niggling at me when I think about how Jesus makes a point to ask his disciples to gather up the pieces left over so nothing will be wasted, I feel something deep inside of me. And I can't, I haven't caught it all. I was saying to Brent as I was sharing with him what I was going to be talking about, I hope that some people listening can maybe illuminate for me a little bit more of uh, what, they're, what they're feeling about this. Um, what I was thinking about is how fragments are never wasted in God's kingdom. The pieces of us and of our stories are honored and they find a place of belonging. What is broken is never discarded. In fact, there is great importance placed on the seemingly inconsequential aspects of our stories and certainly of our hearts. In short, I think in God's kingdom, leftovers matter. I haven't pieced it all together, but I know that God is placing weight on this aspect of the story for me. And I really hope I glean some more in the days ahead. So what does this story have to do with love on this Valentine's Day? When I first began thinking of this story, I was thinking about myself and Brent and David and Debbie and each one of us in this pandemic. Honestly, fairly regularly, I feel inept. 
um, unsuited or ill-equipped for the rather gargantuan task of attempting to try to come alongside our community and to pastor well. Um, I have a master's degree in English literature, not in theology, although I love theology. And I'm always reading and trying to learn more. I consider myself to be a bit of an introvert at heart, although COVID has brought out the latent extrovert in me, I tell you. <laughs> and I'm often happy listening rather than talking, and especially in bigger groups of people. I'm happy to just, um, you wouldn't know it from our Sunday experiences at St. Andrews on the Square, but in other situations, I'm super happy to just sit at the back and take it all in. Um, I would not have been considered a leader amongst my peers when I was growing up. And I still wrestle sometimes with everyday social situations in which I feel sometimes downright foolish. I feel like I know very little and I'm skilled in even less. And Brent and I laugh with one another sometimes because we say the older we get, the less we know. <laughs> oh goodness. Maybe because you understand how much more there is to know. I identify with the Apostle Paul when he goes on and on about how he's the last person suited for the job of doing what he does, and yet here he is still doing it. But I do know this. I love my people. I have to believe that what I uniquely bring to the table is just exactly what is needed today. This story of Jesus multiplying these loaves and fish reminds me to bring my offering to the table, to the hands of Jesus, and to trust that God will make the leap between not enough and more than enough for me. And at a deeper level, and I want you to hear this, because it's so important, I am enough despite sometimes indications to the contrary. And this is true for each one of us. I am enough for myself, for Jesus, for my family, and even for my community right now. It's not my job to meet the needs even within myself, much less the needs of those around me. It's just my job to give what I have to Jesus and to trust him to do all the rest. I have to say there's a profound sense of relief in this and it's an easy thing to forget. But when I come back and I just sit at the feet of Jesus, when I still myself in the presence of the Lord, I'm reminded again, I am enough. I'm not the savior. Goodness sakes, Jesus is. I'm not the one who can multiply whatever small things I have to bring to Jesus. Jesus is the one who is able to take what I bring and to work a miracle. This is true for each one of us. It's true in our families when, honestly, I tell you, <laughs> And I imagine for most people, even more so in the pandemic, um, there are moments daily where I sense my not enoughness as I parent. But when I either unconsciously or consciously bring my little bits to Jesus and bring them to my children, Jesus does something that is beautiful with my family and with my children. I think in our job environments, this is true as well, where we have coworkers that we don't get along with or we have management above us that just feels like there's tension there or injustice there or we have we have people that we are in charge of and responsible for, and they're unruly. 
and they've got their own mess, and so do we, and it can feel very complicated. Um, but I know that I know that when we approach Jesus with our work situations and with even particular people, um, and we bring what we have, Jesus can take that and do something that's beyond anything that we can. He can shift the environment. He can shift a person's heart. It's transformative in nature, and it's so good. Just reading your, some of your comments here. Tracy Polstra says, I'm not left out. You are not, Tracy. We're a part of this lunch. <laughs> you know, so much of the stories in Scripture, if you stop and think about it, are about food. My goodness. And so much of our lives are around food, and especially these holiday celebrations, aren't they? Um, there's something about that breaking of bread together that is so powerful and profound and spiritual in some respect. And sort of that basic sense that God invites each one of us, all of us, no one is left behind to come to this table. I want to ask you today, and these might be big questions that you're going to have to take away and think about, but what area in your life feels less than enough right now? What area in your heart feels less than? Is there a gaping hole between how much you feel you have to offer and how much you feel is required of you. When I choose to bring my little bits, my less than enoughs, my broken pieces to Jesus, the possibility of a miracle occurs. I want to say to you, what you have right now is what is needed for somebody, for something. Who you are right now is what is needed for somebody or for something. We don't have to wait till we've got it all together or we've got all that we need, what we think we need. Right now, right in front of us, there is a grassy hillside of people that just want to be close to Jesus. And guess what? We're carriers of the presence of the living God. And we've still got all our messes. We still haven't got it all together. But that doesn't change that fact. And it doesn't change the fact that at any moment, we can give people around us a little glimpse of the kingdom of God, a little glimpse of Jesus himself. God help us. While preparing this message, I had the song Give a Little Bit in my head. This song is from Supertramp's 1977 album. That was a very good year, I might add. <laughs> it was called Even in the Quietest Moments. And this song was an international hit. And I think most of you probably know it. Can you sing it with me? <laughs> Give a little bit, give a little bit of your love to me. I'll give a little bit, I'll give a little bit of my love to you. There's so much that we need to share, so send a smile to show you care. You know that one? The beauty of the gospel is that we give a little bit 
And Jesus gives everything. In God's economy, our little bit is enough because God's little bit is everything. A simple little yes from a virgin and a tiny little baby that changes everything. (laughs) This is our story, folks, as followers of Jesus. And it's such a good one. Debbie says, your message to parents of feeling not enough is so true for many of us right now. Thank you for reminding us that we are enough with God. Yeah. Parenting is such a humbling experience. (laughs) And just when you think you've figured something else, something else out, something out finally, the kids go up and change on you and you've got a whole nother batch and every kid is different. (laughs) And, ah. Brent and I shake our heads sometimes. But do you know what? I thank God sometimes that it is humbling because actually I feel like I've been given so many amazing tools and every good thing in my life to support me as well as a community of people that love our children. And still, I get it wrong daily. I fail daily. And it reminds me, oh my gosh, do I ever need you daily, God? just to do this thing we call parenting, that we call life. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I want to finish today by backtracking to this story for a moment, just to focus on one final aspect that I felt like was important to note today. The sequence in this story seems crucial to me. The disciples acknowledge their need and the impossibility of the situation. They bring the little bit they have to Jesus. Jesus blesses that little bit and hands it back to the disciples and asks them to distribute the little bit they have. In the act of distribution, multiplication occurs. The disciples return to Jesus amazed and Jesus sends them out again to collect the leftovers. This, I believe, is the story of love the essence of the good news of Jesus Christ for each one of us. We acknowledge our inability to do this on our own. We bring our hearts to Jesus. Jesus receives us, loves us. Jesus blesses us with a love that's so deep and wide and high and long that we cannot do anything but share it with those around us. And as we do, magic happens. Love expands exponentially. We come back to Jesus. Jesus turns us around again to go back into our homes and our communities, our schools and our workplaces, to collect the fragments of people's stories and hearts and souls and to treat these as precious. This week, while beginning to read Emotionally Healthy Relationships, I happened upon a profound quotation from Jean Vanier, a Catholic Canadian philosopher and theologian, theologian, (laughs) who founded um, nearly 150 communities in 35 different countries for people with developmental disabilities and those who support them. I've read little bits and pieces of what... uh, Vanier has wrote over the years, and I've highly, from a distance, highly respected and admired this man's um, on-the-ground faith expressed in love to those with special needs. In this quotation, he said, to love someone is not, first of all, to do things for them, but to reveal to them their beauty and value to say to them through our attitude, you are beautiful, you are important, I trust you, you can trust yourself. Wow, in a way I think this is what Jesus did that day. 
He took those cheap loaves of bread and those measly fish and he blessed them. Five loaves, two fish, one Jesus. Enough. We can do this too. We can take people's little bits and bless them and we can point them to the one. I wanted to add, um, just in, in brief, one simple note of importance, and that is, we're all just disciples, and we're all, in essence, just that little boy coming to Jesus, that little girl, that little boy, bringing our little bits. And in this, I think is a great truth, which is there are no superstars in the kingdom of God. There's this equalizing factor that is really important for us to remember, especially in this season. As I was driving today, I was thinking about how Jesus referenced John the Baptist in some ways as like, if there were any superstar in the eyes of Jesus while he was here on the earth, it might have been John the Baptist. But he said, he's the least of these. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? That little boy, that little girl, the one who we forget about or we don't think has anything to contribute. And that's each one of us. And there's something both humbling and liberating in understanding that truth. Each one of us. I want to, in truth, finish today <laughs> with sharing from Isaiah 55. I want you to hear the words that I believe God is speaking to us today. If you want to close your eyes and just soak in these words, feel free to do so. Listen. Are you thirsty for more? Come to the refreshing waters and drink. Even if you have no money, come, buy, eat. Yes, come and buy all the wine and milk you desire. It won't cost a thing. Why spend your hard-earned money on something that can't nourish you or work so hard for something that can't satisfy? So listen carefully to me and you'll enjoy a sumptuous feast delighting in the finest of foods. Pay attention and come closer to me and hear that your total being may flourish I will enter into an everlasting covenant with you, and I will show you the same faithful love that I showed David. Such a gift, those words to us. Jesus, May we come to you today. Come a little closer. May our hearts crack wide open to receive your words of love to us on this Valentine's Day. May we offer you our love, our time, our energy, our full attention, our gifts. And may we also offer our fragments, our pieces, our broken and hurting parts and places. May our story be that we have been witnesses to you transforming our not enough into your more than enough. May we remember Each one of us comes to you as a child with our little bits. 
We're not less than and we're not more than anyone else around us. We're your child and you love us as such and you parent us so well. You lead us so well. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Jesus. Thanks for giving us love in the first place so that we have some to offer to those around us who we love most. Amen. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for listening in and participating and sharing. I'm going to do one last little check here. (laughs) Ayla was commenting how John eats bees. I think she means locusts. He eats honey too, if I remember correctly. He ate honey too. (laughs) Ah, that's true, Ayla. (laughs) Ah, Much love to each and every one of you. And we'll see you on Wednesday night. Thanks again for listening in. God bless you.